0: Our Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for your love, for your powerful name. And Jesus, we're grateful that you came for us. We confess again, Jesus Christ, that you are Lord. We pray that you would remind us of your wonderful plan as we look into your word today, Lord. Fill us with the Holy Spirit. Help us to hear from you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So what does God want from us? How does God want us to live? Those are good questions, right? We should ask those questions. Every person who has ever lived should ask that question. Who is God? What does it mean for me to live as somebody who was created by God? So, how have we done? Individually, as a human race, how have we done? One of the verses that's found in both the Old Testament and the New Testament has God saying, be holy, because I am holy. How have we done? Have we lived perfectly holy lives? Could we go to God on that day and say, God, look at me, I did it. Look at how well I did. Not a single one of us could. We've been going through a sermon series here for the last three months called The Story of the Bible, in which we've been walking through the Bible, and I mentioned that we were going to do three months in the Old Testament, so we just finished that part up, and we're going to go into one month of the New Testament now, and as we looked at the Old Testament, we could ask that question, how have we done, not us, because we didn't live then, but how did our our forefathers do? Did they follow God the way that they should? Well, what's the answer? No. (laughs) No. Let's just take a few quick examples from the Old Testament. Adam and Eve disobeyed God in the Garden of Eden. It was perfect there, and they disobeyed. Then Israel, later on, uh, they didn't trust God to get them into the Promised Land. But then when God got them into the Promised Land, they started worshipping idols, and they had to get kicked back out of the Promised Land. But then God brought them back into the Promised Land again, and they still didn't follow God's ways. And that's just four examples Now, a cynical person could say, man, those people in the Old Testament, they just didn't get it, did they? But what about us? Have we fared any better? In the New Testament, it says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and that includes us. From our own life experience, every single one of us here could tell story after story after story of how we have messed up and how we have fallen short of God's perfect standard of holiness. So, what should God do? There was a time once in the Old Testament, I know you know this, when God pretty much wiped out all of humanity except for eight people. It was the flood. Should God repeat something like that in the New Testament? Well, in his mercy, God did something better. He saw us in our helpless, wandering estate, and he fixed the problem. We had gotten ourselves into a huge problem by our sin, and God fixed it by sending his son, Jesus Christ. He fixed it eternally. And that's where we're heading into the New Testament portion of our sermon series now. Now, uh, this is kind of test time for me, because the way I set up this series is that if I have done my job over the last three months, which I'm not sure that I have, so you all can tell me if I have or haven't, but if I've done my job, nothing that we're going to see in the next month will come out of nowhere, because everything came out of the Old Testament, had its roots there. So what we've, well, we've been looking at the Old Testament to see God's unfolding plan, and today we're going to see something really special about that plan. And this is one of the things I love about the Bible, by the way. It's one story. It's 66 books written by many authors over about 1,500 years of time, yet it is all one story. God has woven it all together. The Holy Spirit oversaw the whole process, and we have one story story. That's why this sermon series is called the story of the Bible. It's not the stories of the Bible. It's the story of the Bible, and your story is included in it. And as we look at the first chapter of the Gospel of John today, you'll see how God has seen our huge sin problem. That's, That's what we added to this story but we're going to see God's wonderful solution. Now, we're going to start at the end of the passage. that we're going, to, we're going to look at John 1, 1 through 18. We're going to look at the last two verses first. I'll read them right now. John 1, 17 and 18. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God the one and only who is at the Father's side has made him known. The law of verse 17 was the instruction that God gave to his people, what we might now call the Old Testament. And it was a gracious thing for God to do, to give his word to his people, to teach them who he is and how they should follow him. So the law tells us who God is, but the law does another thing to us as well. It shows us how we fall short. I heard a pastor say this week that the law is like a mirror pointing out our blemishes. So, on the one hand, the law tells us who God is, but on the other hand it brings this tension because as we look at the law, if if all we had was the law, all we could do is agree with God that we had fallen short and that we deserve punishment, every single one of us. The law didn't bring salvation, nor did the law change anybody's heart. No, the law showed us the profound gap between God's perfection, God's holiness, And our unholiness. And if all we had was the law, again, all we could do is agree with God that we deserve punishment. But even within that law, we saw that, and and if you've been here for this sermon series, you saw this at least three times in our sermon series in 2 Samuel 7, Isaiah 53, and Malachi 3. The law pointed to one who was coming, the law pointed ahead to someone who was greater than the law that would fix our problem. The law showed us that there was a problem, but also pointed ahead to the one who would fix the problem. So that's why these two verses in John that we just read, they talk about the law coming through Moses, but now there's grace and truth that came through Jesus Christ. So yes, Jesus is still truth. It's not like God set aside his truth. God's solution to our sin problem wasn't to lower his standards. It wasn't like God watched the people mess up for thousands of years and he's up there kind of rubbing his head and saying, what have I gotten myself into? Uh, You know what? Maybe they're not that bad. Maybe I should just lower my standards. No, that is not how God responded to our sin problem. God is the perfectly holy God and his solution came in the truth of Jesus Christ but also in the grace of God of Jesus Christ. The word grace, usually in the Bible, in the New Testament at least, means kindness and it also means gift. So we had proven ourselves unable to reach heaven, unable to reach God on our own, but in the graciousness of God he sent his Son. Now, like it says in verse 18, no one has ever seen God. Not even Moses. Who, Moses met with God, but remember when Moses asked to see God, all he, could, all he was allowed to see was the back of God. So there was always something about God that was an unknown to us. But look what it says here in verse 18. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, that, that's Jesus, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. The reason that Jesus came, like it says there in verse 18, was to make God known to us. And that doesn't just simply mean that Jesus would tell us things about God, although he certainly did that. He did so much more. Through the grace and truth of Jesus, we can actually know God. We can have a relationship with him. We can be transformed from sinners who deserved wrath into the very children of God who can live eternally in his blessings. So let's look at our passage today and see how this all came about through Jesus Christ. Now we'll go back to the beginning. Verses 1 and 2. In the beginning, which by the way, what, what does that remind you of? Somebody shouted out. When I say in the beginning, Genesis 1, wait, 1. you guys got it. The, the Old, Testament, Old Testament started out saying in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now John 1, 1 starts out by saying in the beginning. It's a reminder to us of where Jesus was. He was right alongside. See, uh, it wasn't just the Father who created. Uh, maybe, maybe some of you have, have thought that. It wasn't. All three members of the Trinity were active in creation. Okay, so in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. So Jesus is called the Word here. And what does that mean? Put yourself in the the shoes of somebody who is being asked that question, which actually I am asking you that question right now. This should be easy. Uh, What does it mean that Jesus is the Word? How would you answer that question if somebody came up to you and said, why does the Bible call Jesus the Word? Well, let's look at a few answers. One, in the Old Testament, uh, what's the significance of the Word? Well, as I've already mentioned, God's creation came about through His Word. God's Spoke the universe into existence. So one of the things we're talking about when we talk about Jesus is the, the power behind creation that was in Jesus Christ Himself. And we can see this in verse 3 and verse 10 of our passage later on. So you could say that we live in the Words world. Now, in our house, our kids like this cartoon called Word World. Any of you ever seen that one? It's a cartoon where all of the characters in the world are made up of letters. So sometimes you just have these these kind of stray letters around and you put them together into words and if it's D-U-C-K, it it becomes an actual duck. So that's how that world was put together. Well, our world was put together by the Word who spoke the world into existence. Okay, what else about uh, about the Word? Why is Jesus called the Word? Well, think about this. When God communicated with his people, what did he do? He spoke to them. He gave them his words. Psalm 119.89 says, Your word, O Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. All over the the Old Testament, you see this idea of God speaking to his people. That's who we serve as a a speaking God who has revealed himself to us. Uh, And it's on on this note that the theologian D.A. Carson says that the word is God's ultimate self-disclosure. Now, I like how he said it there. D.A. Carson, I think, is, is one of the best, if not the best, theologians of our day. And I, I like what he said, that the Word is God's ultimate self-disclosure. But I think he might have even got one up by an eight-year-old girl on this one. There's a story about uh, this eight-year-old girl. Maybe she was in Sunday school class. And the teacher said, why is Jesus called the Word? And her answer was profound. She says, because Jesus is what God wanted to say to us. So, this is amazing. You think about all the the sin and the junk that we had brought into this world through our poor decisions, through our rebellion against God, and what did God want to say to us? Jesus Christ. It's amazing how, how God responded to us. Okay, so... That's who the word is. But let's keep on looking at verses 1 and 2 of John chapter 1 for a little bit here. Um, it says some amazing things about him. It says that he, he was with God and that he was God. And that was all in the beginning. How, how can somebody be both God and be with God? The only suitable answer has to do with the Trinity, right? We believe in the Trinity here. We believe that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit have all existed since eternity past. So one of the amazing things about the Trinity is that they are not ashamed to share the same name. So here, the the Father and the Son share the name God. So this is one of the places where we would say that Jesus is not only the Son of God, but he is also God the Son. Okay, so there's a lot there in verses 1 and 2, a lot of theology. Uh, We're going to move on now now to verses 3 through 5. Through him... The Word, through him all things were made without him nothing was made that has been made in him was life and that life was the light of men the light shines in the darkness but the darkness has not understood it so again these verses remind us that the universe came into existence through the word all that was made was made through him including life itself and it says that that life was the light of men so there's this connection then between life and light and that will come up in this passage again so as we think about light, we think of it, it's, you could think of it as the opposite of darkness, but it's not like they're, they're equal and opposite forces, because when light comes into the darkness, it shines, and the darkness can't do anything to stop it. And I think that's one of the things it means when it says there, the darkness has not understood it. That word could also be translated as overcome. The darkness has not overcome it. Um, But I think also what we're going to see as this passage moves on is that there's this spiritual element in here where when we're talking about the darkness, we're talking about the wicked, sinful, rebellious people of the earth who didn't understand the light, didn't understand Jesus Christ when he came in. And in that sense, there are two very different responses that we can have to light. Let me just give you an illustration here. Uh, Well, we all like light. For example, when you come into a dark room at night and you're awake, oftentimes they'll turn on a light because you want it. But I want you to think about some creatures that don't like the light. And it's a little bit disturbing, but uh, maybe you've been there with me. I've been there. Uh, I'll, I'll admit this. So you get up, let's say, late at night. You need to go to the bathroom. You turn on the light. And what do you see on the floor? You ever seen this? Little bugs scurrying up bugs that you did not see during the day because they were not out during the day. But when nighttime comes, we don't I don't know where those bugs come from, but when I turn the light on, they somehow find their way underneath the baseboard or something. But it's it's kind of disturbing. But those bugs do not like the light. They will flee from it when they see the light. Now John in his gospel here reminds us just two chapters later that some people prefer the darkness instead of light. It says that their deeds are evil, so they prefer the darkness. They don't like the light of Jesus shining on their sin. And they flee from it. And I don't want us to be like that. Okay? Well, let's move on. Verses 6-9. through nine. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light; he came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. Now, this can be confusing because the John that we're talking about here is not the John who wrote the Gospel of John, okay? The Gospel of John was most likely written by the apostle John, and the John that we're talking about here in verse 6 is John the Baptist, okay? So, Let me remind you of something that I I shared last week in Malachi 3, the last book of the Old Testament. It talked about two messengers that were to come. Remember that? There was a messenger who was going to prepare the way for another messenger. That first messenger we now know is John the Baptist, and he's talked about here again in the Gospel of John. And the second messenger then is Jesus Christ. John the Baptist came, as it says in John 1, 7, to testify concerning that light, so that through him all men might believe. And here we get into the key point of our passage today. The the reason for all of what we're talking about today is that all men might believe in Jesus Christ. Jesus was sent so that we might believe in him. John the Baptist was sent so that we might believe in Jesus. And like it says in verse 9, the true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. I like how it's said here in verse 9 that this light gives light to every man. Maybe you've heard some people say that Christianity is exclusive. Some people, when they're, when they're trying to rip on us, they will say, oh, you guys, you're so narrow-minded. You believe that Jesus is the only way. What about all those other people from all those other religions? They're, they're good people. What about them? Well, I would say yes and no to that. I would say yes, we're exclusive. Yes, the only way to the Father is through Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus himself said. But, please hear me on this. The message of Christianity is so inclusive that God wants all men to believe. That's why he sent Jesus. That's why he sent John. So So that through even John's testimony all men might believe. Jesus himself said, Seek and you will find. It's an invitation from God that we might get to be with him forever. Okay, let's move on. Verses 10 through 11. These verses are talking about Jesus. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Now, one interesting note about the book of John, this is something you just might want to make mental note of. When the apostle John uses the word world, he's often referring not to the physical stuff of the earth, but to the rebellious people of the earth. And that's what it means here. That that Jesus came to a world full of rebellious people. And far too many people did not recognize him, or literally what it says there is they didn't know him. And then it says in verse 11 that they did not receive him. Even though they were his own, he, he created us. Far too many people didn't know him, didn't receive him. We saw that over and over in the Old Testament. We see it all around us in our world today, and if we're honest with ourselves, we would know that we have all been there, that we were those people who who were in rebellion against Jesus. But there is a better response. We shouldn't be like those bugs who scurry away when the light comes. Verses 12-13 through talk about this better response. Yet, to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not, out of, not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. So we are to receive Jesus and believe in his name. You can't miss that one, alright? That, that's really important. In fact, I read one theologian t- today who said that verse 12 is the center point of all of this. We are to receive Jesus and believe in his name. God loves us so much that he doesn't want us to stay in the darkness. That's where John 3.16 comes in. For God so loved the world. Remember the, the world, the wicked, rebellious people of the world. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And we are supposed to receive him. So remember, we're talking about grace, which means gift. What are we supposed to do with this gift? We are supposed to receive it. And to receive, we are to believe in his name. Now that phrase, to believe in, the, in Jesus' name, it very possibly means more than you think. It, it doesn't just mean that we agree to some truths about who he is, j- as if it were just something that happened in our brains. Here's how I like to say it. I'll put it up on the screen for you. We are to receive Jesus as Savior and Lord. Those are two really important names for Jesus. Jesus. And and let me just walk through this. This is what we call the gospel message. We were talking in Sunday school this morning that we all should be ready with the gospel. So what I'm going to say for some of you is something that you have heard maybe thousands of times, but I want you to be ready to share it. And again, this this is one of the preferred ways that I like to share the gospel message is to talk about knowing Jesus as Savior and Lord. But maybe there are some of you out there who you don't know if you've ever received him. So listen up. As I talk about what it means to know Jesus as Savior, it means that he saved us. I I hope you've clearly understood so far that every single one of us has sinned against God. We have rebelled against him. And because of our sin, the Bible tells us that we earned a death penalty. And that death penalty wouldn't just mean that we would die physically. It would mean that we would also die spiritually and that we would be eternally separated from God. That's what every single one of us earned by our sin. But for Jesus to be our Savior means that he saved us from that. And the way that he did that was through his death and his resurrection. When he died on the cross, he took our sin penalty upon himself. And through his resurrection, he shows that he has defeated the power of sin and death and the devil so that anyone who receives him as Savior can be completely forgiven of their sins. So that's what it means to receive Jesus as our Savior. But remember, we are also to receive Jesus as Lord. And the word Lord means master. And as master, that means that Jesus is the one who is rightly in control of our lives. And all too often, we get this one wrong. Every single one of us assumed when we came into this world that we were the master of our own lives. We proved that by going our own way, by living our lives in rebellion against God. And think about it. As we are making our own choices in rebellion against God and the way that He wanted us to go, what were we saying? We were saying that we were the Lord of our own lives. So in repentance, what we are supposed to do is to come back to Jesus and say, I'm sorry, I am not the Lord. You are the Lord. And we are to give our lives to Him. So so what we're doing then, you see there's these two paths. On the one path, we pretended to be in control of our own lives We are supposed to repent, get off of that path, receive Jesus as Lord, and when we receive him as Lord, what do we become? If he's master, then we are servants. And the rest of our lives should be lived in submission to him, where we serve him and follow him. So have you done that? Have you received Jesus as your Savior and Lord? I'm not simply asking if you agree to the truths of what I'm saying I'm asking you if you've given your life to Jesus and if so have you given your life to him in such a way that it's clear that you are following him and not yourself and then here's the really cool part about this if we receive Jesus as our savior and lord we have the right to become children of God now on the one hand there is some language in the bible that says that we are all God's offspring everybody who came into this world came because God created us and we are his children. But there's a different way that the Bible talks about it so as to say that we are not all his children, that there's this adoption language, and only those who have received Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord are adopted into God's family and get to live with him forever. So not everyone in that sense who is born on earth was born as a child of God. In fact, you don't get born as a child of God in that sense. You have to be reborn as a child of God. That's where the, in the Gospel of John it talks about this rebirth language. We have to be born again. So think about that. We all came into this world, um, like it says in verse 13, of, of a human decision or a husband's will. Kids, I'll let you ask your parents at home about how that one happened later. But that's how we all got here. But you don't get into God's kingdom just by that. You get into God's kingdom by being adopted as a child, by receiving Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. You don't get to be God's child even just by going to church or by going to Sunday school, or by being confirmed, or by being baptized. All of those are good things. And it, it saddens me to think of all the people in this world who are banking on some of those things, as if when they get to heaven and, and God were to say to them, why should I let you in? And they would say, well, I was baptized. Or, didn't you see my attendance record at church? It is not about that. It is about receiving Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. And if you've done that, then you should spend the rest of your life walking around with him as Lord. Let's move on to verse 14 now. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now here's where we see the incarnation. That's the title of my sermon today, incarnation. Pop quiz. What does the word incarnation mean? It's not the instant breakfast that you might have had 20 years ago, um, nor is it a flower. What does incarnation mean? It's a Latin word that means in the flesh. So when Jesus came, he came in the flesh. And it's kind of interesting, uh, that word made his dwelling, that word is a word that points us back to the Old Testament, and it reminds us of a tent. So... um, If you were to go camping, you would make your dwelling by setting up a tent. Well, God actually did that in the Old Testament. There was a a dwelling in the Old Testament. There was the tent of meeting, and there was the tabernacle. It, It was a tent in which God's presence was there so that he could meet with his people. So look what it says now, knowing that Old Testament language. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Jesus became a human being and dwelt among us, so that the presence of God would be with us. And when we use language like that, what we're now talking about is the biggest blessing in the Bible, the blessing of God with us. The whole purpose of the gospel message, the whole purpose of what God has been doing in our hearts and in our lives, is to, to save us and to make us holy so that we could be with him forever. So what God did was send Jesus to be with us to live among us that our hearts might be changed that we might get to be with God forever and in that Jesus is very unique in fact that phrase there you see it in verse 14 one and only that's what that's getting at Um, that phrase is the same phrase we already saw in verse 18 it's the same phrase that we see in John 3.16 it's translated different ways you might be most familiar with the phrase uh, only begotten Um, It's this theological word that's a little bit difficult to translate, but the truth behind it is actually very easy to understand. It's talking about how Jesus is the beloved, unique Son of God. He's beloved in that God the Father and God the Son have been in a relationship with each other since eternity past. And he's unique in that there's no other son of God like him. Yes, we get to be uh, children of God when we receive Jesus, but we get in as adopted children, and there will always be something unique about God the Son, Jesus Christ. There's no one else like him. And like it says again in verse 14, he's full of grace and truth. We've already talked about those topics, so let's move on now to verse 15. John testifies concerning him. He cries out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me, because he was before me. So this verse again reminds us of John the Baptist's ministry of pointing to Jesus. And here he simply adds that although Jesus was born after John the Baptist, he has surpassed him because Jesus was before John. Now that might get a little confusing, um, but the reason it's confusing is because there's something different about Jesus. Now, John the Baptist was just like you and I. He was conceived, and you could say that he came about when he was conceived, but not Jesus. Jesus existed even before he was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. So in that sense, Jesus was before John the Baptist. Now, it doesn't work like that. I have an older brother, and if I were to come up to him and say, hey, how's my younger brother doing? I might get a really weird look, or he might sit on me like he used to do, or something, I don't know, but... uh, But with Jesus, he was before John the Baptist because he is the eternally existing I Am. He was with God in the beginning. And it is through this unique Son of God, Jesus Christ, that we have all received blessings. Like it says in verse 16, we've received these grace gifts. It says, from the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. And then that brings us back to verses 17 and 18, where we started. And let me just point out one thing again from verse 18. I want to I emphasize this. One of the main reasons that Jesus came was to make God known to us. Now, you could say that God had already been made known through his creation. In fact, it says in the New Testament that we are all without excuse. We know that there is a God who created all of this. Even if we've never seen him, we know that he created. Now, you could also say that God had revealed himself through his written word, the Old Testament scriptures. But I think what verse 18 is getting at when it says that Jesus has made the Father known, we're getting at something much greater that was happening. Of how God himself, God the Son, took on human flesh to walk around among us to make the Father known in a way that he had not been known before, in a way that we are now invited into a relationship with him that will last forever, in which we can be cleansed and made holy. And again I ask, like I asked at the beginning, are we holy? Have we lived perfectly holy lives? Well, no, we didn't do that on our own, but in Christ we are made holy. And the result is that we get to be children of God by believing in his name. You see, God didn't want us to be stuck in our sin. He doesn't want us to flail around as we try to direct our own life. Have you ever been there? Have you ever ever gone on your own path and you start to try to figure out what you want your life to look like and it just doesn't go well in your own power? God doesn't want us to be there. God wants us to live the life we were created to live in Jesus Christ in a relationship with God the Father. So our best life is a life where we receive Jesus and we know him as our Lord and Master. And that's why in his mercy God sent Jesus to us. And because of this amazing gift, we can become children of God, we can know God. And I want to close my sermon now by talking about this idea of knowing God. I want to camp out on that for just a little bit here. In verse 18 again, that Jesus came to make God known. Now, when we know God, we understand a lot about our lives. We understand that we were created by Him and for Him. We weren't created for ourselves. We weren't created just to enjoy, get as much enjoyment out of this life as possible. We were created to know God and to serve Him, and I think the the most joy that we'll get in life is when we live like that. It's ironic, though, that we think the most joy will come as we live for ourselves, but that's not how it works. When we know God, we recognize we were created by him and for him. When we know God, we understand that on our own, we don't measure up to God's standard, the standard of perfect holiness. But we also understand that we were created to know Jesus, to place our faith in him. And having entered into that relationship with God, we are to continue to know God for the rest of our lives. In a different letter that the Apostle John wrote, he talked about how God is light and we are invited into that light to walk in fellowship with God now and forever. So that should be the pattern of the rest of our lives. We know God and we keep walking with God. So let me ask you two questions. Number one, have you received Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord? That is our entrance into all of this. And then the second question, do you keep walking with God? Now let me, let me focus in on that second question because I think it will help you understand that first question. Do you know God? Those of us who have truly given our lives to Jesus Christ will be the ones who keep walking with Him. Let me say that again because I think it's important and I think it helps clarify who really knows God and who doesn't. Those who have truly given their lives to Jesus Christ will be those who keep walking with Him. In the Bible, the word is called perseverance. We'll know that we belong to Him as we keep walking with Him. I think that there are some people in this world who simply know things about Jesus, but they've never actually given their life to Jesus. Please don't be that person. I think I was that person for quite a while in my life, actually. Let me tell you a little bit about my story. First 15 years of my life, I went to church pretty much every Sunday. And at my church, up right up front, there was a cross and there was a depiction of Jesus on that cross. And we, we had a liturgy that we would go through every Sunday. And every Sunday we talked about how there was forgiveness through Jesus Christ. And if you were to talk to me at, at any point in those 15 years that, that I was able to talk back to you, and if you were to ask me, Eric, are you a Christian? I would have said, of course I am. If you were to ask me, Eric, where does your forgiveness come from? I would have said, Jesus died on the cross and he rose again three days later. But you know what? There was something missing in my life. I could have told you that stuff about Jesus. I knew things about him. But I really don't know if I knew him, if I was walking with him. You see, I would, I would go from church and uh, when I tell this next part of my story, some people sometimes say, Eric, you were such a good kid. And let's be honest, I was a good kid, okay? Um uh, <laughs> I got good grades, I, uh, I didn't get into much trouble, but boy, there was something wrong with my heart, let me tell you, uh, I, and we don't need to get into all of that, um, I'll, let, I'll, I'll let you go first and then I'll tell you mine after, um, that's how we'll do that today, but uh, let me just tell you, there were things wrong with my heart in the way that I treated people, in the things that I did or thought when, when I didn't think anyone else was looking, I was not walking with God. I would go to church on Sunday and agree with the pastor when he said that Jesus Christ died for our sins, but there was certainly something that was not right in my heart. And I want you all to know that this relationship with God that we have is not just simply about agreeing about the facts. It is about receiving Jesus Christ and believing on Him as your Savior and your Lord. And as your Lord, let me just remind you, He is your Master. And for me, the way I look at that now, I'm glad to serve Jesus. I'm glad that He's my Lord. I'm glad that I am not left to just try to figure out my life on my own. I know that as I have submitted to my Lord and my Savior, Jesus Christ, that He leads me in the path that's right. And I'm not saying that I do it perfectly. Praise the Lord, there is forgiveness for our sins. There is cleansing for those times when we mess up. But I am so thankful that I have a God who loves me so much that he leads me on a moment-by-moment basis. And the life that I want to live for the rest of my life is the life where I walk with him, where I keep walking with him. We weren't created simply to know things about God. We were created to know God. And that happens again with that first question as you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. And maybe there's some of you in here today that that's the step that you need to take. You need to invite Him to be your Savior, to ask Him to forgive you of your sins, and you need to invite Him to take His rightful place as the Lord and Master of your life. Or maybe this message is just a reminder of how Jesus is Lord and you are not. Maybe it's for... For people like Garland who've been walking with Jesus for, is, is it hundred years yet, Garland? Or I don't know, uh, uh, for a long time. We all need those reminders that Jesus Christ is Lord and I am not. And maybe that's your encouragement today is to just keep walking with Him. God sent Him as a gracious gift to you because God knew that we weren't doing it right. Do you know that? Do you know that your way of life on your own is not the right way of life? Well, praise the Lord. There is the gracious gift of Jesus Christ. God sent Jesus so that we could do life with God now and forever. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for your mercy, for your grace that you saw us not living up to your holy standard, yet you, you loved us and you sent your Son, Jesus Christ, for us. God, I pray that every one of us in here would know Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord, and if there are any who have not yet received him, who have not yet believed in his name, that right now they would receive him as Savior, that you would forgive their sins as they come to him, that that they would receive Jesus Christ as Lord, as Master, willingly submitting their lives to be your servant and God for all of us who know Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord I pray that we would keep walking with you we thank you that you invite us into the life that is truly life the life that will never end the life full of blessings from you both now and forever but God sometimes we get tempted to walk on that old path we get tempted to do life our own way again Would you please fill us with the Holy Spirit and remind us to live our lives as servants of our Savior and Lord, our Master, Jesus Christ. And we thank you again, God, for sending him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.